This is an original branded podcast from GTM Creative Strategies. Governor Newsom today addressed the recent rolling blackouts. He's not happy. In fact, he sent an angry letter to the state energy overseers demanding to know why blackouts happened over the weekend with little notice to the public. Back in August, California's grid operator shut off power for millions of residents during an historic heat wave and series of wildfires. Let me just make this crystal clear. Uh, We failed to predict and plan these shortages, and that's simply unacceptable. The blackouts caused confusion and outrage across the state. People were looking for someone to blame, an agency, a utility, or a technology like renewables. We've seen that before, where folks that are generally opposed to the state's ambitious targets or renewables goals, you know, blame the intermittency of renewables for these types of events. Amisha Rai is a managing director at Advanced Energy Economy. She oversees the organization's clean grid practice in the West. We now know what happened. The cause was detailed in a lengthy multi-agency investigation, and it was a unique combination of factors. Amisha read that report. Yes, a bunch of natural gas capacity tripped offline, and wind and solar generation also fell. But it was much more than that. One big factor was simply a lack of planning for the combination of extreme heat and devastating wildfires. The vast majority of policy leaders and policymakers weren't necessarily necessarily expecting the extent at which these wildfires were going to converge during those weather patterns. So all of that was not considered during the planning process, or it wasn't considered to the, to the extent it happened. Another was the lack of out-of-state resources. The heat wave didn't just impact California, it was hitting all other states around it at the same time. You had multiple states that were impacted by that weather event, which really caused a strain on the grid. So all of the states were pulling, and uh, there wasn't the capacity that um, was expected. And finally, there was just a lot of confusion over resource availability. In all, I think what we're seeing is moving forward, are all going to have to work together and coordinate and increase the amount of transparency in the system to ensure that this doesn't happen again. How did this incident change or reframe or influence the way California sees its decarbonization efforts going forward? Does it change anything? I do not think it changes the decarbonization goals. I think, if anything, calls for the acceleration of moving toward a system that is more resilient. So if California's blackouts accelerate decarbonization efforts further, how can all the actors on the grid apply lessons from this summer? That's what we're covering in this episode, produced in collaboration with Vertzilla. California has a target of 60% renewables by 2030 and 100% carbon-free energy by 2045. And it's going to take a lot more coordination to get there. Now it is very important to figure out a practical and realistic plan I think uh, California is working very hard on it. Uh, Without the plan, you will end up in uh, ad hoc situations easily. That's Jussi Heikkinen, the Director of Growth and Development for the Americas at Vertzilla. His team has been working on some very detailed modeling of how this transition could play out in California in the wake of the blackouts. We're going to hear from him a bit later in the episode. First, back to Amisha Rai for the State of Play. 
Amisha has been following the clean energy transition in California back when 2020 was the target day for policy. Well, here we are in 2020, and now we're looking out to 2030, 2045, and beyond. What's happening today? How would you characterize what California has in front of it right now? We have uh, the, the grid itself changing rapidly. Technology is rapidly evolving. So the nature of the grid and the technologies that are involved in that sphere is expanding. The utility business model is evolving as we speak. And we're also seeing in California that CCAs have have a much larger footprint than they've ever had. Um, And then we are seeing uh, these extreme weather events that are creating situations where utilities have to shut off power to avoid catastrophic events. We're seeing climate-induced wildfires that are wiping out parts of the state. And so all of these, whether you call them crises or challenges, are converging. And as California has set these really ambitious targets, which we all support, it's going to be important to think about all of these challenges in one system. And that's where the state is. And in some ways, I, you know, I'm talking about California being a bellwether for not only setting these goals, but it's also a bellwether for implementation. So if I asked you point blank, how optimistic are you that California is going to meet these targets? How would you answer? Things have progressed exponentially. And, and that's why I'm optimistic, because back then, when I was just starting out in this arena, it seemed like 2020 was ages away. And what we've seen is actually the state is able to achieve a lot of the 2020 uh, mandates and that the 2030 targets don't seem as far off as one would perceive them to be. So if anything, it's, it's proven to me, and I think it's given me a a lot of optimism. I think the other piece of this, which is unfortunate and which I didn't foresee, is the other external challenges that are now plaguing the system, like wildfires, extreme weather events, which scientists were talking about at that point in time, but it wasn't front and center. It wasn't something that we were in real time grappling with. We are now in that stage. We are grappling with it. And unfortunately, it is the new normal as we think about the future of the grid. Well, Amisha, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, Amisha Rai is a managing director with Advanced Energy Economy. So let's dig deeper into the specific pathways for California. For that, we'll turn back to Vertzilla's UC Heikkinen. He's optimistic, but also very aware of the challenges ahead. I would love to make here the analog to to the space mission of the 60s, JFK. He had a vision, take a man to the moon and back alive. And they made a plan, and of course they had to adjust the plan on the way. Um, It took years of hard scientific work, and it worked. So uh, one needs to have a plan, of course, ad hoc. Uh, Things do not work very well, and then you need to build a reliable rocket (laughs) and lead the project firmly to the goal. UC's team is trying to help build that rocket, so to speak. 
Tapping its savvy engineers and power systems experts, Vertilla recently modeled five different scenarios for how California could reach its decarbonization goals, while also factoring in extreme events like the heat wave from this summer. The first scenario simply follows California's resource planning from 2019. It really sets the benchmark for the other scenarios regarding emissions and uh, security of supply and, and generation cost. The second scenario adds mostly wind, solar and batteries on the system, while retiring gas plants. I would say that it is possible to build a reliable power system with this approach, but as you will uh, see later, I think it will cost a lot more for the ratepayers. The third scenario relies on a lot of wind, solar, and batteries, but also synthetic carbon-neutral methane for flexible power plants. And this gas would then be stored in the existing gas storage facilities in California, forming uh, basically a large seasonal storage. The fourth scenario builds on all of this and relies on green hydrogen as well. Hydrogen is actually cheaper to produce than carbon-neutral methane but the distribution system and the infra basically to, for storage is not yet there. So we could not add that in the model because we don't know the costs of that. And finally, the fifth is the optimal scenario plus. It's similar to the third scenario, a lot of renewables, batteries, flexible generation with carbon neutral methane and green hydrogen, but it models that out during extreme grid stresses as well. And this way, the scenario outlines, I would say, the optimal decarbonization path for California with security of supply uh, during heat waves, meaning without any blackouts. So what does it mean to build an optimal system? And what are the benefits of having flexible generation with renewable fuels combined with conventional renewable electricity and batteries? That's what we talked to UC about. We started with his view on the status quo in California. When you say optimal, what does that mean? Optimal in what way? Yeah, Noel, the current uh, political mainstream uh, is to close down all thermal power, uh, using gas in California, I mean, and uh, to add uh, mainly solar power and storage to the system. The IRP, however, it maintains some gas power in the system even after 2045 to ensure adequate firm capacity, which then enables security of supply. But I would say California is already today facing challenges on this pathway. Firstly, quite many thousand megawatts of uh, firm gas capacity has been already closed down, and the plan is to close down more. Those so-called OTCs, uh, once through cooling plants uh, along the shoreline. And today already California is quite strongly dependent on its neighbors, providing balancing power, for example, for the evening ramps. But uh, we can see the neighbors uh, decarbonizing their electricity with similar pace as California. And I would say that the similar easy access to such imported power is highly questionable already, I would say, in the near future. Then there has been quite a lot of solar curtailment uh, due to the inflexibility of the power system to basically incorporate the early afternoon high solar generation. This is a real waste of uh, clean energy, while at the same time fossil fuel is being burned. So, And that is just because the inflexible plants, they just cannot uh, adapt to the situation. And if you keep adding more solar, you will get more problems, but carbon does not go down much further. So something else needs to be be done. I think the 
heatwave this uh, August in 2020, it uh, really demonstrated how vulnerable the situation already is. We saw rolling backouts and Kaiser simply did not have enough power in its control to provide electricity to the consumers during a, a few days. So in the early days, early years, the optimal bath builds quite much more solar. It builds more wind and it builds definitely much more storage than is in the current IRP. And I would say that it is one of the simple truths that uh, there's no way to avoid blackouts and guarantee security of supply if you don't have enough firm capacity in the in the power system. And the heat wave clearly showed that. It, it, I would still uh, lift in the biggest difference, I think, between the optimal path and the current California state IRP is that the, the optimal path allows for the use of carbon neutral fuels. And uh, having such fuels uh, available enables you to build firm capacity in the power system uh, uh, and a construction of a much smaller power system because you, you have always this back route that you can start these plants if there's not enough solar and enough power in the storage. So you will be able to uh, build a low-cost power system along with zero carbon and, and security of, the, of supply. So how are we defining flexible gas and what do these plants need to actually do to reach the optimal scenario that you're outlining? Yeah, with flexible gas, we need, we mean actually flexible gas power plants. And when you look at what the modeling is asking and showing as the highest value for such plants in the future, these plants need to be able to start very fast. So you don't run them. Uh, and in just minutes, when you have a need, you start the number of units that you need to cover those changes in weather, uh, for example, that there's a sudden loss of generation or so. So the dispatcher has control all the time, but he's not burning fuel until there's really a need. And the second thing I would say is that these plants need to typically start 500 to 1000 times per year. So it is maybe three times a day on the average. Uh, in these high uh, renewable power systems. So these plants should not have any starting cost. It, it should be possible to start them without figuring out the, how, much, how much it will cost. And uh, then they should also be able to stop very fast, maybe in just seconds. When you don't need to burn fossil fuels in the system, then you should stop doing it instantly. And this is the main reason why you cannot today uh, save fuel and take down carbon fast in California, that these plants that are there, they cannot be stopped fast and restarting takes several hours after that. So that is that is one of the key reasons there. Of course, they should have good heat rate, meaning that uh, they are using as little gas per megawatt hour of electricity as possible. They should have very low traditional emissions they don't run more than a few percent capacity factor, so they don't produce any emissions, but that is still important. And finally, I would say that part of the flexibility is fuel flexibility. These plants need to be capable of converting to future carbon neutral fuels, be it hydrogen, be it uh, carbon neutral methane. It could even be methanol in some, some cases. I think these are the key features of, of how we define flexibility. Okay, so then what happens in California if they just keep 
adding a lot more renewable energy and lithium-ion batteries. We can certainly do a lot to reduce emissions and clean up the grid with those technologies, but they are part of a wider team. So what are the limits to just adding a bunch of wind, solar, and batteries on the grid? Why do we need to be thinking holistically about this other set of uh, zero carbon or renewable fuels? You can do that. You can build a power system based on that, but it will be far from the efficient and cost-efficient power system. If you just add more solar, wind, and storage, of course you can provide uh, safety, security of supply at the end. But if you really did this, one of the second scenario that we have in our, our study shows this, you have to build 10 times more battery storage than in the other scenarios. And that brings the cost to the ratepayers on a very high level. It's about, in 2045, the cost level is about two and a half times higher than in the optimal path. What are the consequences of not doing this right? Is it just that they'll be, they'll overpay or that we will face reliability challenges? It, it is both. The, it is clear that if you just build solar and, uh, and storage, you will have to hugely overbuild the system. But then it is also a fairly complicated system to run because you have to know all the time and forecast the weather and decide when do you charge, when do you discharge, how do you run those storage elements in the system optimally. So I would say that there will surely be, during special weather conditions, there will surely be security of supply issues as well. Uh, of course, it will provide fast carbon, carbon reduction path if you just close down all the, all the thermal plants and build largely overbuilt these, but it will take many years to build such a size of storage, especially as there's a cost down also learning curve for battery storage, uh, which uh, encourages to wait a little and build it a little bit later. Let's turn to the recent events in California this summer. The heat wave that uh, brought, you know, rolling short-term blackouts. Does this situation complicate or even threaten California's decarbonization plans going forward? No, I think it just opened the eyes that how vulnerable the situation already is. I would say that hopefully it helps figure out the cure. And uh, I hope also that the optimal path plus that uh, we have in the study helps see what the world leading software uh, suggests would be the best cure over a 25 year period. Uh, providing the lowest cost and best uh, decarbonization path. How do you think th the situation is changing technologically? So we see European super hybrid projects where hydrogen production is potentially an important piece of offshore wind development. Um, we see a, a company like SoCal Gas in California talking about how um, renewable methane may be an important part of its operations going forward. Unclear what the timeline will look like, but a lot of companies, either uh, gas or power delivery companies or project developers, are really starting to think about these various fuels. How do you see that playing out? So I expect that uh, there will be some inventions made, there will be better, better ways to produce these fuels, and the costs will go down probably more than than we think today. Uh, if you think of solar, I personally can tell you that 12, 13 years ago, if somebody said that solar will capture a big part of the market, uh, 
I didn't believe it. I, I, nobody even said it, but I would not have believed it. And today it is, it is a fact. So I think these fuels, they will come for sure. The oil and gas industry will bring fuels to the market because there's a need. Uh, there's the aviation industry, there is the marine industry, there's the transportation on land. There's huge needs to bring these fuels. And, uh, and I am sure they will have uh, figured out cost-efficient ways to produce them because that will give them competitive edge in, in the game. So the, these fuels will be a key ingredient in the future power systems. You will not burn a lot of these fuels. They will be more expensive than fossil fuels, but they enable you really to, by using the flexible uh, gas power plants, they're using these fuels to build very efficient power systems, much more efficient than if you just add solar and storage and then you end up overbuilding uh, storage a lot. What about long-term supply of you know, renewable methane or, or hydrogen? If we are talking about not short-term disturbances, but long periods of time where you have, you know, seasonal changes in the amount of wind or solar power available, and you need to be able to ca uh, call on a lot more of these fuels, uh, what does supply need to be? What does that do to added cost in the system? Walk us through some of the farther out scenarios where you may need to rely on these fuels in a much more significant way. In this uh, study, the modeling was done so that all the equipment to produce these fuels locally in California are included in the costs and all the operation cost of the, that equipment is included. The equipment is using curtailed solar power to produce these fuels. So the solar capacity is dimensioned so that there is adequate curtailment to, to use for producing fuels. And then there's adequately fuel produced and stored in the gas storage for those situations during heat waves. And especially during the winter when you need quite a lot of that fuel because the sun is not shining so warmly then uh, so that you can cover the whole load using this. The software knows how much you need. It can optimize this. In real life, you would probably produce a little less to have a margin, a little more to have a margin towards this. There will be a supply of these fuels, a world market for these fuels. So whether the fuels will in real life be produced in California or somewhere else, that is not the key here because all the costs of producing these fuels are anyhow in the cost. So the, we should have the right cost picture of the, of the total. So technology surprises us all the time. Now it's up to the regulators and policymakers to create a framework for those surprises to, to help us move faster. Yeah, you could, you could say so. Uh, definitely people are looking for new inventions in, in uh, storage and batteries and so on. But I would say that there's no reason to wait now that let's wait and see maybe something mirac miraculous will uh, pop up somewhere. There's no need to, to wait. All the technologies to, to do these things exist. To produce these fuels, yes, you can do it today. It just costs more than it will probably cost in the future. So all the ingredients are there, there for the future, for the decarbonization. Yussi, thank you so much. A fascinating look at what's ahead. Yeah, thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
You've been listening to an episode produced by GTM Creative Strategies in collaboration with Vertilla. Vertilla creates smart, flexible power technologies to enable a cleaner grid and put the world on a path to 100% renewable energy. They're helping clients worldwide meet their clean energy goals in an efficient and cost-effective way. To read Vertilla's analysis on the optimal way forward for California, follow the link in the show notes. Thanks for reading, and thanks for listening.